Hey, everybody. My name is Jesse Hill. And I'm Hank Berman. And this is the High Note Podcast. My name is Jesse Hill. I am a local musician, uh, vocalist on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, and I am teaming up with the one and only, the legendary Hank no, Berman. No, Hank no, Berman, no. yes. You act as if I owe you money. <laughs> <laughs> no. We've been wanting to start something like this for a little while. We've been talking as we pass uh, by each other before. You know, I'm getting off and he's getting on his gig. So we, when we're talking, we're always like, we need to have a discussion. We need to let... Uh, give a platform to some local musicians, local vocalists, uh, even artists, um, just a platform of, of a way to express themselves and hear their story because we all have very interesting stories. And Hank, I'm sure you, you have way more interesting stories than I do. <laughs> I don't know. Well, just as being twice your age, maybe, but it's, <laughs> it's, um, I don't know how many I can discuss. <laughs> well, I mean, it is an open forum and I am a master editor, so... <laughs> Yeah, depending this, on this is true if nothing the, else you'll get to hear yeah, some that's of right stories. that's right that's right um but hank i want to hear this is going to be an introductory episode that's what we're going for right now because we've got a lot more uh of the rabbit hole to dive down tell the audience who who may not know you or people who do know you but maybe not know the synopsis of where you come from and how you got to where you are now i'm gonna let hank take it over for a second and just tell me a little bit about your story okay i started playing when i was 13 my mother, um, I was going to a dance, and my mother was going to teach me how to dance because I d didn't know how, and I still don't know how. And after like 10 minutes of it, she said, dance. He's just not a dancer. So that being said, my love for music, I figured I'd be better off on the other side of the dance floor on the stage playing, and that's what I've done ever since. Started playing, I guess, in clubs in my early 20s and uh, have been doing it ever since. And I always tell people, you know, um, when I start losing weight from it, that's when I'll look for a real job. <laughs> Man, so, I mean, just from your eyes, the Mississippi Gulf Coast, I mean, the Gulf Coast in general, because you've played at, I'm sure, several other places along the coast. I have. Um, I mean, it's changed a lot since when you started versus oh my gosh, what it is yeah. now. The advent of the casinos really changed the complexion and the complexity of, of the coast. Um, I was, when I started, I was the young kid in the group of the musicians. I was, I was the youngster. I was the one that they took under their wing. And it always helps to be around musicians better than you. True that. Same with the golf. Like if you play golf, if you people play golf, way better, whatever it, it is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's and because it, it does make you a better player, I think, or a better singer, or you'd notice, what people do or just watching, you know, equipment. When I first started playing, my very first gig was at a, a now defunct place in uh, Gulfport called Timothy O'Sullivan's. Cool place. Hadn't been open that long. And uh, I was so excited to be playing. And I didn't know how to set up the PA. I had no idea. It had like a seven band EQ on it. And I had it flat. I, I didn't know what to do with it. And luckily, a guy that I knew who owned a uh, stereo store in Gulfport 
was there. And he said, let me, let me help you a little bit. And he kind of made the smiley face with the EQ. And it's like, oh, my gosh, that sounds so much better. You know, so, so I mean, I really went into it green. It was, I just had no idea. And I'd written out on these three by five index cards, my set list. I had four of them and I was going to do 12 songs. And uh, I remember at the end of the first set, I'd gone through all of them. <laughs> I was like, I got to start over and start from the top and keep going. So anyway, it was, I learned a lot that first time, scared, petrified, just not really, and still not really good in front of people. I know you might find it hard to believe. But I very rarely make eye contact with them. Um, it's, I just, it, it's nothing personal. I'm just really, when it comes down to it, I'm really an introvert. I, re I really am. I, uh, as I get older, I'm actually, I'm 32 now. My birthday was last month, so I'm 32. Happy birthday. Thank you. So last, so I'm 32, and I'm noticing, when I was younger, I started, I came on the scene when I was 17, so that's 2007. Um, man, I was energized. I was, you know, I wanted to be in the middle of it all. Well, your dad's a great musician. Yeah. So talk about Bill for a yeah, second. Let me, go, let me go to my little story real quick. Um, so I grew up around a band called Coast. So Bill Hill, Glenn Lumpkin, Hal Fountain, Noel Quinn, uh, many other keys, Ralph Knowles, Jackie Weaver. I can name them all. Smokey, uh, rest in peace, Smokey. So, um, it was a band that I grew up around. They, uh, were a honk tonk cover band. Um, but they were really good. They played, they opened up shows for Well and Jennings, uh, Billy Ray Cyrus, just a lot of these big names of that time in the 90s, 80s, 90s. I grew up around that and I fell in love with the gadgets, the instruments, the, even though I didn't know, I just, I just kind of like watched them and, and kind of, I, I want a drum set. Do I know how to play drums? No, but I want to try, you know, it's all that kind of stuff. Then I start singing and my dad hears the tone and he's like, okay. And I'm, I'm singing Backstreet Boys and, and, I didn't know that. Rock. I'm, you know, I'm trying to get to this Aerosmith range. I mean, so crazy. you should incorporate that into your shows now. That'd be great. You could, you could do Sinatra and then Aerosmith right behind oh, it. Oh, Lord. Know, dude looks like a lady. Would hey, be man, just wonderful. I'd be versatile. So you could do like, what What did uh, Sinatra do? Uh, something lady. Luck be a lady. Luck be a lady, followed by dude looks like a lady. <laughs> oh, my Lord. So yeah. I wanted to be rock, you know, or whatever was going on in the late 90s. That's when I was, I was a young kid. But my dad heard me sing L-O-V-E in the shower. I was just singing. He was like, where'd you learn that? I saw it. I saw it in a movie. He's like, sounds good. That's great. And so he really ushered me into that realm of, you know, this is the music you need to focus on. So then in my mind, I'm like, where do I get a band? But since he's been a part of a band, he's like, you don't want a band. Now, a lot of musicians, a lot of bands would be like, you know, I'm a karaoke singer. I've heard it many times. Um, but what he taught me was one, you know, your paycheck's your paycheck. Nobody else's. Two, your schedule is your schedule. You don't have to depend on anybody following through and things like that. And I've always missed that band feel. I would love to be with a band one day or a big band of some sort. Um, it's just hard to come by, and it's hard for a business to hire a 10, 15-piece that's, section. That's true. <laughs> and, I, and, and with the advent of all this equipment, uh, you know, when I was playing, I think we had talked about this before, that um, the uh, I started programming my own tracks at home off a keyboard. And everybody, it was cool. It was great. But then came the K-word, karaoke. And so now, like you just said, it's like, oh, karaoke, cool. No, no, it's not. It's my, <laughs> it's my gig. It's my show, you know. So that changed it too. Um, but it's, it's easier 
and like you said, there's I know there's going to be bands, and and I know a lot of these guys that you know. No, I'd rather play in a band in the camaraderie, like you were saying, and uh, bouncing ideas off each other. That's cool, you know, jamming and just oh. I like that. Let's go with this or whatever. But still, you know, you don't have to give. Nobody asks you for a raise. That's true. You know, you don't have. You don't have to. I, my car wouldn't start. I couldn't make it to the gig or that kind of thing. It's just. I mean, I would love to be able to play with the band, and it's just not really. It wouldn't even be a money thing. It would be almost like let's get let's get down and let's let's maybe write some things. But yeah. it's just now. I'm now looking at more in a business sense than a dream sense. If that right. makes sense. No. Yeah. I know. Um, I agree with you. It's. Um, you have a lot of irons in the fire. I do. And it's great. I mean, doing this podcast, you've got your studio at Mary C. you got a beautiful family. I mean, come on. you got a beautiful family too. Lori, my Lord. Yeah, <laughs> my, my wife. Hey, Lori. Hey. <laughs> yes, he mentioned that we are in this studio. This is the 1600 Studios. This is where my other business, Hilltree, operates out of the City of Ocean Springs, Social Collective Co., Twisted Timber Designs and the Mary C have partnered with Hilltree and we've built this really, really cool place where you can do photography, videography, podcasts. It's really cool. Music. And we're really specializing in the singer-songwriter aspect because I kept thinking, how, do, how deep do I want to go with the recording studio? I mean, you can spend millions and millions of dollars if you wanted to. Sure. Just on stuff. But you know, if you think about it too, that uh, the equipment that's available to the average musician is better than it was for the most part back in the 60s and 70s when all these hits were being made, you know, of course, you know. The Beatles recorded on a four track at the beginning. You know, I mean, now you can have endless tracks, as, as much memory as your computer has. Yeah. You know, so. That girl, Billy, what's her name? Billie Eilish. She recorded, her and her brother recorded that Grammy-winning album, all in her bedroom on a Universal Apollo, the same one we actually we have a better one than the one they had, mm -hmm. and uh, what a two hundred dollar microphone. Yeah. So I mean, we've invested in the equipment that we feel like we can you know comfortable using. We pretty much made everything digital to where it's plugins, and I think in the future, especially when Hank and I do these podcasts and we bring a guest on, uh, maybe when they end it off, they can you know they want to jam a little bit so we can record Absolutely. it and actually I can act, we can edit it, make it sound really good and. Make them sound better than they are. <laughs> I mean, if you if you got the ability, and we're not live streaming, I think it's a, uh, I think it's a win win for yeah. for both parties. I think so too. A good way to showcase their abilities and and uh, and yours as well. You for, you failed to mention because you're far too modest. The award winning Hill Tree Marketing. Oh yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, you are. Yes, you are. We've uh, yeah, videography and web design. I've seen some of your videos, and they're excellent. They're great. And you know what attracts me to videos? When I was a kid, I always wanted to do this. I don't know what it was, but people would ask, you know, what do you want to be? And people, you know, kids would say astronauts or teachers or right. anything like that. I wanted to be, and I didn't even know what it was called. I said, I want to put music into movies. So I always really? Told, I always said that. I was like, I want to be the guy to put music into movies. And that's what I, I've said. I said that throughout high school. Because when I was in 14, 15, I was doing stuff, and I was like tinkering with sound, and I was like, I want to put music into movies. So... I kind of did the opposite, I actually, which is fun because I actually capture the footage, whether it's a drone or a ground camera. And then I have, there's, there are now these, these, you got millions of songs in these catalogs that you subscribe to. Right. And you surf through it till you find a really good feel of your, of the footage you captured. And it's all licensed and everything because you pay your subscription. And now I can make these, I can take these shots, these really compelling shots, put it with a compelling uh, song. Soundtrack. And, and it's almost like you're making your own kind of movie. And it's just, it, it might be a 30-second commercial, but it's Well, like, that's great that your dream came true. And, pretty much when, when you but, think about so it. So you were more interested in, in 
matching it than composing. I notice what I would remember from the movie the most would be the songs. True. Is that because we're musicians or do you think the average person does that? I know that it can set a mood. So like I was sitting down with my sister recently and there was a movie, Man of Steel, really action-packed Superman movie. And she never watched it. And I told her not to watch it because of the action. I said, watch because of the music. And it's beautiful. It's, yeah. it's a Superman. It's an action hero movie. Right, but the, right. But the movie, like just the music and a, a scene will make you cry. It's that pretty. Yeah, I, I think I kind of answered my own question. I think that people don't realize how much the music is affecting them watching a movie. Take the music out of a movie or commercial. Watch anything. it flat without anything. Just the dialogue. I watched... And have been watching a lot of things on soundtrack composers, like people like Thomas Newman. And, um, but he talks about that and how he'll go to certain things, not necessarily a formula, but, okay, if it's going to be suspenseful, it'll be a flatted ninth that he'll put in or something. In, or these, these musical terms of, uh, um, when he's composing that, that bring up uh, love or hate or suspense that, you know, depending on, or action, like you're talking about, you know, it's, uh, it's amazing what these guys um, can do and, and affect your mood. There was a movie, the 1917, that he did. And oh, it was, wow. It's a great movie. Is that the one that they shot, like? The one shot, one okay. camera so at the beginning sequence. So that kind of stuff sequence. inspires me in a film. See, like, that's just great. Just to watch that plane, like these, these guys charge in the field and yes. plane literally crashing it's yes. all one scene if they screw up they gotta do it again right the whole thing and yeah and but he, he he talked about that just how um he did Shawshank Redemption too which is a great movie and a great soundtrack um, but he talks about all this kind of stuff and they all do Hans Zimmer's another one that uh, does he's probably my favorite he does I mean he's every major movie you've seen probably is Hans has something to do with it, or one of his protégés because he always works with uh, four or five younger people and brings them up and they've gone on to do their own composing um away from him but he has these guys that he's smart you know he's 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 bringing them in and they've got talent and it just opens up the range even more so that's pretty good i mean and talking about uh composing and writing i mean hank you had a really really interesting project that what was it was it it was this year or was it last year? it was last it was year end of last year um of course, Tell people about that. I'm like you in that uh, we're known for playing in clubs or restaurants or whatever, casinos. Setting an atmosphere. Yes. The coast to me, although it's changing um, as we speak, but was never really a hot spot for songwriting. Most of the clubs preferred to hear covers and still do, or even like cover charges. The coast was never known as a place for cover charge. Now you could have a five drink minimum and people wouldn't blink at that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but a $5 to get in and no, I'm not going to pay it. Anyway, kind of getting off track, but, um, I did this project and I had been wanting to do it and it's, um, based, it's not a toe tapper on uh, the Holocaust. And I did this record and, uh, called finale and, I did it as we're speaking as well about instruments stuff. I have uh, uh, a couple of catalogs of orchestral instruments that at your fingertips. I mean, think about it. Some guy in Diaboville, Mississippi is sitting there with an orchestra and his, on his keyboard, on his, on his computer. And so I wrote, and it's mostly orchestral. I, don't, I only play guitar on it, like uh, maybe one or two songs. 
and the rest of it's I play keyboards, mostly piano on it, and then it has orchestral background. And um, then my son and I went to Auschwitz. We went to Auschwitzum, Poland, which in in German, Auschwitzum is Auschwitz. And we went to the camp. And it's something, I, you know, people shake their heads and how could you do that? I mean, just the emotional thing. And it's true. It's just, it's like, this isn't a movie set. You know, we're talking about movies and all. This is like, this really happened. And, but I had most of the of the songs composed and arranged um, with the exception of a couple of them. And it was just something, and you, you can go for free. It doesn't cost you anything to go. But since we made a trip, there specifically uh, with a reason in mind um uh we we had a six-hour guide and she was a young girl but she was very knowledge very passionate very knowledgeable and um she made the comment that everyone should visit uh something like this to ensure that it never happens again and unfortunately that's not the case because it's happening again um in different parts of the world, we just don't hear about it as much. But anyway, um, it was it was a very uh, trying experience, but something I felt as as an artist that I had to do. Oh yeah, you know, follow the muse, and uh, like I just finished one that, um, and it, oh, and all of the proceeds went to Yad Vashem, the uh, Holocaust Center in Jerusalem. So I'm That's doing awesome. one. I just yes, I'm doing one now. Um, based on the rosary, the Catholic rosary, oh. and it's called Resurrection, and it is um, condensed because I mean, there's there's five mysteries in each in, in the four mysteries of the rosary, so there's twenty. It would be too much of a, it'd be too much. So I kind of condensed it, but all the money for that is being donated to save the children. So I'm not getting a penny off of it. I'm not trying to toot my horn. I'm trying to to bring um, these projects to people's mind to to help you know if you don't like it it makes a great coaster there you go that's it you know or you can you or it's streaming you know the, it, it's the finale one the one on the holocaust is already streaming on apple music and spotify and all that kind of stuff um major platforms and so will resurrection i think tomorrow i think december 1st is when it's i had projected to put it out but i i, I want to go wait, hold on don't stop, stop, stop you got an album coming out tomorrow <clears throat> yeah yeah. Oh wow. That's, yeah. That's news. Yeah. Well. And this is it this, is to me. <laughs> and this podcast, I'm going to be editing. It usually takes me a couple of days. So when you hear this, it'll already be out. Yes. So make yes. sure you check it out. It's called Resurrection by Hank Burns. Resurrection. Yes. Actually, I, I'm going by my my given name, Henry. Henry. Ah. I, I guess I was trying to uh, Hank. You know, hey man. Hey Hank. How you yeah. doing, man? But Henry. I like that. Like, yeah. So it's my given name, Henry Berman. Um. But anyway, it's it's I like the projects. Um, they're for a good cause. Uh, I went into it knowing. I mean, how could I take money from either one of these things? Mm -hmm. You know, especially the, well, either one of them. The, the Holocaust. Yeah, I'm going to make money off the Holocaust. No, no, you just can't do that. And something deep in your soul, like I mean, you were going into that. You're writing and 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 recording. It's someone and like I love how you said it, it feels like something you just had to do. Had no, to do nobody it. was sitting there banging over your head. It was pretty much you like banging yourself over the head, like, I want to do this. Yes. It's that drive. You you get in the zone. Yes. And you'll disappear for a little while. Yes. It's it it's a very interesting I, I would love to sit in on on like we were talking about the the soundtrack composers. I'd I'd love to just sit there and watch them 
of course, you can't get into their head, but just how they come up with ideas. I mean, it's a very odd process. It's just like it, to, to make something up out of nowhere. You know, there's, there's only so many notes. There's only, you know, I mean, the arrangement of, of how, you, how you do those. And, you know, you'll hear things, oh, that sounds vague, vaguely familiar. Because you, you've probably heard everything somewhere before, for the most part. It's a matter of how you put it in order. You know the the right right the 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 notes the 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 high notes the there you, uh, go. There you go the uh, um, uh, uh, the chord progressions whatever it is you know I've I've learned I've learned an awful lot too by doing this stuff about just not the guitar originally I wanted to play piano when I was a kid and I had a, a terrible experience my first and one and only lesson is uh, I'm, I'm I asked my parents they didn't tell me or ask me but I asked them that I told them I'd like to have, take piano. And they said, okay. So they took me to this house in Biloxi and, and the woman, of course, I'm like eight, nine years old. And the woman is really old, which means she's probably like 40. (laughs) 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 So, so, um, I'm there and, um, I'm sitting at the piano and she's showing me how to put your hands on the keys and what you're going to be doing. And out of the corner of my eye, my peripheral vision, I see her husband walk by out of down the hall into the kitchen in his underwear. And I said, I don't want to be here. So I left and I never, so I learned piano on my own. I mean, I'm certainly not Mozart or, you know, I'm not a great pianist, but, but I can basically find my way around the piano and, um, on the job training type thing so i'll never be a concert pianist but 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 i will i have enough knowledge to in theory i've picked up along the way to, you have a great ear well your ears are yeah except for b i have a problem with the b i don't know why a b note a b note like on a guitar the the second string is a b and i uh, for some reason that one just when are you talking about like when you're trying to tune it and trying yes, to tune it by ear yes it's just really hard i, I just out. i yeah i don't know why it's i've always been that way in fact I, I played like in duos or trios and like I'm um, tuning up and I'll hit the B and they're like with the thumbs up, like, no, or no <laughs> thumbs down, no, no low, low, higher, no, 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 low, no. So, yeah. but anyway, when you're writing a song, especially something like that, it's, and it is like a soundtrack. It's a soundtrack in my mind, you know, because it's so vivid. You know, I watched all these, uh, all these videos on YouTube and other places on the Holocaust and what went down and, and then seeing it in person. And my wife told me, Lori said at one point, you know, stop it, take a break. Cause it just was, it kills you. you no, know, it's, it's so, I, I get on these kicks where I get in this, I get my phases, you know, sometimes a civil war, right, sometimes yeah. and mainly world war two, because it's just, it's good versus evil. It's what it is. It's, yes. It's the, the axis. The best. It's probably the best story. And what's crazy, and we're going to, this is off topic, but I was, you were talking about the Axis powers. So the Axis, you got the Allies. Axis was Italy, Japan, right. um, Germany. And then the Allies were pretty much the rest. Right. But then <laughs> right. Uh, I'm, I've been really looking into this thing called BRICS. Have you looked into this? So no. BRICS, Tell me about it. See if I can remember it. So BRICS is a, uh, and I'm, I might be wrong. I'm sure a business analyst would be like, you're wrong. But guess what? This is a music podcast, and I'm probably, I might be wrong. Yeah, yeah. But, Get off my lawn. Exactly, we don't care about you. Exactly. So BRICS, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, Korea, South Africa. They are, those countries are trying to get away from the U.S. dollar and to kind of break away. They've wow. Called, they're called BRICS. Now, if you notice a lot of it, it's communism. 
And so it's almost like you're seeing something form and I'm always, I'm like watching it and I'm like, could this be like the new axis? You know what? I mean, it, history p- repeats itself. So yes, it does. So just like you said that, you know, that tour guide said, you know, people need to come and see this because this shouldn't happen again, even though it is happening. Right. I mean, North Korea, right. we don't know what's going on, but we know something's no. going on. Um, yeah. So I'm just, wow, that's really interesting. I, yeah. Look it up. BRICS. BR. It's, it's, I, I just will. Like you, and it's the rush. And just type in uh, BRICS countries or whatever, and I'll list it and you'll see where these people have summits. It's nuts. Wow. It's nuts. It's kind of scary. It's very scary. But back to music. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. That was good. I like but that. I'm excited to hear it. I'm excited to hear yeah. Resurrection. Yes. But also you can check out Finale on Spotify. All Apple, the major all platforms. The, isn't that cool that you can just... It really is. I can't tell you how many years. At first, I got these CDs made, and I would sell them for 10, 15 bucks here and there. And then I realized, like, you know, getting these things made, it's just, is it worth it? And so I just stopped getting them made. Right. And then streaming came out yeah and i didn't realize i always thought it was like a world that you just nobody can get in unless you have a major label but that's not true not at all even it's, at even at this studio we can record you whether it's a cover song or uh, an original we can get the license and everything for you right. and actually distribute it for you right on all those major that's great isn't it cool it really is it. It. but it's so strange the um you're talking about um like having cds made and i still have cds these um projects are available on CD as well. But uh, it's like when you used to go to the store, or at least it, it, in my life, lifetime, um, you'd buy the album or the cassette or the eight track or the, the record, <laughs> the record, and you'd have a tangible product in your hand. You would have something, okay, I paid however many dollars for this thing, or 45 back then, the 45s. Uh, but you walked out with something you owned in your hand. And now, yes, you own it, but you don't have it. I guess that's kind of like what Bitcoin or crypto is or was. I don't know. I don't follow that. Uh, But it's like, okay, you got money, but you don't have the money in your hand. You're not going, you know, to buy something. No, I'm using my Bitcoin or whatever it is. I don't know. But but I always liked having something in my hand. And of course, the world has changed and you got to keep up with it as well. But like on some of these websites that that do production they do your cds or whatever they also sell the usbs now you know so you can just have all your stuff and your pictures because i always liked the cover art i liked opening up an album and and reading the lyrics and and looking oh this was written by so-and-so and i can't tell you through the years how many people i got turned on by looking at who wrote the song Years and years ago, there was uh, uh, the band America did a record, and it was a pretty famous record. Uh, that did um, it, it was called Homecoming, and it had uh, Ventura Highway on it. Which, on a side note, Prince was a big America fan and Joni Mitchell fan as well, and among other things, James Brown and of course the R and B stuff. But there's a line in a in a song you've heard it on the radio, Ventura Highway, where they sing, "I've been hit by purple rain." And that's where Prince got the idea of Purple Rain and turned it into a song. Ah. Uh, Isn't that something? That's cool. So, I love that story. I love stories like that. Me too. Um, but without having, of course, I listened to the record over and over, but without having read it or seen it, you know, it's like, 
oh, well, now you listen to something on the radio. You don't know the backstory to it, or you don't know. Maybe it was written by somebody else. What I was getting at with the America story, sorry, um, was they did a song called Head and Heart, which was done by an English musician who has since passed away, John Martin. And he was very influential in, in my acoustic guitar playing. Um, so I went and looked for his records and couldn't find them. And there was a place in Gulfport back in the day, my day, that sold his records and it was like a basically a greatest hits a greatest hits record by a man that nobody knew who he was in america that's cool yeah and i just listened to all his stuff great picker great player but that's again uh, one of the the negative things about not having something in your hand that you can read and look at and say oh that's john martin or that's jesse hill or whatever well i'm gonna go and find out more about jesse hill or whomever hank berman it's it's that that i feel is missing in the public's music buying. I agree. I feel like, I think it was either Garth Brooks or the Beatles, maybe both, but they, it took them a long time to be on iTunes. Yes. I know it was the Beatles for sure. And I think, I think it was Beatles or Garth Brooks, but they were talking about how the artwork, all the songs told the full story. Yes. You can't just get piece of the story. And yes, you got to think these people used to be paid for an album with 12 songs. Yes. And then you have all these, distributors and these streaming channels saying, hey, we're going to sell your songs one by one. Right. And you're not going to make that much money off of it. That's right. You got to go tour to make your money. It's what they're telling them. Right. And that's just like a shell shock to these guys. Well, Vince Gill went on um, 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 one of the social networks, I forget which one it was, and was talking about that very thing, about it's going to take me thousands, hundreds of thousands to make a small percentage of what I was making before. You know, and a lot of guys, they or people, they don't really like the idea of touring, whether it's away from family or just the stress and strain of it. Well, songwriters, they don't like. No. Songwriters don't really be out there. They A lot of them want to be, they want to write the song, get it recorded, and Yeah, they want it. to sit around in their underwear and bathrobe and, and write these songs and <laughs> don't, have to, don't have to impress anybody. <laughs> but, yeah. But I think the Beatles also was a money thing. I think so too. Apple, Apple Music. That's what it they're was. publishing. They, you know, and then they sold it. Um, I think it was was it Michael Jackson? Did yeah. he own the rights and he wouldn't? Yeah, sell he was to Paul. They did. Yes, they did the that record. Some record Michael Jackson and McCartney did together, and then he's asking McCartney for advice and on musical uh, investments and he goes oh you, well you could buy catalogs so he turned around and bought the Beatles catalog right from under Paul McCartney. That's crazy. Yeah, that that could be the end of a friendship. That could. Yeah. But I mean, Paul is still touring. Well, Paul, yeah, he's and he's and from what I understand, he sounds great. So that that was my dad's big inspiration was Paul McCartney. So my dad learned my dad learned his voice. He loved Elvis, huge Elvis fan. I grew up loving Elvis too. Elvis but, Costello, <laughs> the King son. The King. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you, thank everybody. But uh, what was it? Uh, Paul McCartney. He learned his. He loved his guitar. Paul McCartney is a guitar player. When when the Quarrymen got together, I don't know much, Jesse, but when we're talking about this kind of stuff, I know this. Don't ask me who's number one on the charts right now because I don't have a clue. <laughs> but but the Quarrymen... I'll look that up. Just, 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 <laughs> just, for just to do purposes. it. So the Quarrymen, when they went to form the band, one of them had to play bass. They had three guitar players and a drummer. Pete Best was the drummer at the time, and Sue Sutcliffe was in the band eventually when they went to Germany. But anyway, McCartney was a guitar player, so he said, I'll play bass. Now, to me, walking and chewing gum, I can do that. I can play harmonica and the guitar at the same time, but I can't play bass 
and sing at the same time. I just can't. I can, I, that's my admiration for them. And drummers. I mean, a drummer that can sit there and he's got the hi-hat going, he's got the, the kick going. And I mean, oh my gosh, that's, 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 that's a great talent to me. But anyway, so if you listen to McCartney's bass lines, they're very melodic. They're not like the kind of stuff, you know. I mean, we, even when they did like, uh, they covered Buck Owens stuff, you know, Ringo sang on it. But his bass lines are ve very melodic. And, and any guitar player that plays bass normally plays like that. You're used to, it's, it's a different animal, but yet, but for, it, with the Beatles, it worked. I mean, it worked. Oh my gosh. I, I just could sit there and listen. I was listening to Penny Lane not too long ago. And the bass line in that song is just crazy good. But I don't know how much of that would have been if he was just a bass player. You know, and then you got jazz people like Jaco Pastorius, Weather Report, and all these guys that were just, oh my gosh, he was a monster. Great. So jazz to me has always been, because that's what a lot of people reference me singing. Uh, well, yeah, because honestly, a lot of people don't know it. Like I sing pop music, and the pop music of that back in the '40s and '50s was the Sinatra. It was considered pretty much pop. Right. And then as we move forward, and horns and tubas and things started kind of dying off, they right. considered that jazz. Even though it, there's some people that'll run, there's some people run into me from New Orleans. They'll say they'll come to the jazz brunch and like this isn't jazz. Right. And I'm like, you got me. <laughs> <laughs> But well, but they respect what I'm trying to do at least to keep alive. Well, and 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 I ran into that too uh, playing a jazz brunch that because um, my idea of jazz. I mean, you what you do is very very good. I'm not just saying this because you're looking at me and and you've got a knife in your hand. <laughs> but um, but what you do is very very good. And when my dad, my dad will be 98 years old, hopefully in a week. We still have them. Um, Greatest generation. Yeah. He he loved, we took him there, my mom and dad, for uh, their anniversary to listen to you. And he was singing along and he loved those songs. And it's, yes, jazz. I mean, you think about Tommy Dorsey. You think about all those guys, Glenn Miller, uh, 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 Duke Ellington. I mean, uh, all those guys, Count Basie. That was jazz. But jazz was more or less pop was mainstream mm -hmm. then you got into the 50s where it became people like brubeck and and these other guys you know uh nat king cole great piano player people don't realize what a I great piano player cole. he's yeah. one of my favorite voices uh yes and uh he died at 47 i believe i mean uh, so many of those people if you look at their ages when they died when they passed on were very young yeah. especially by today's standards you know we our longevity with the exception of processed food and that kind of thing we could live to be a long you know a, a really long time which I don't know how happy I am about that if you owe people money, but it's, <laughs> <laughs> but, but so, so you get into the fifties and then you got into, they broke down, like you said, they got away from tubas and, and a lot of horn stuff, you know, but the music has always been like that. It's like, uh, it'll go through phases, you know, like, like okay, where's, we, the, where's the steel guitar and country music? It's gone. Right. Think and, about and you know who's responsible for that? Uh, Aldine? Chet Atkins. Chet Atkins. Chet Atkins became president of RCA Records in the sixties. And he foresaw the future of country music. And what is and, and he he said his idea, even though it has come back some, but at RCA he said, We're gonna get rid of the steel guitar and the fiddle. And he did. And he did. He and, did. And then but the people now nowadays, uh they get out of college, of course most people um in 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 the country, maybe not necessarily in the south but in the country most people are rockers they like rock although rocks a dying 
thing right now. I mean, you know, this it's it's changed a lot. Start thinking about like when you turn on popular hits right now, like yeah. pop. When's the last time you heard a guitar lead? That's right. You know, it's starting to you're starting to see that trend because everything's really getting digital. Yes, but in country music, right. you hear guitar leads exactly. And because what has happened is, and this is what his I thought process, his idea was, okay, when when these guys, uh, these people, men, women, whatever, grad, graduate from college into the r- real world, so to speak, um, they got to go somewhere with, musically, we're talking about music, that's all we're talking about, music, have to go somewhere with it. So I can't tell you how many people I know and their children have gone to country music because it's, it's, it's a perfect stepping stone to go from that music to what you hear on the radio. So much country music to me isn't country uh, yeah. in, in the traditional sense. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's so... The Merle days are in the past. Yeah, I mean... I, mean, uh, and I, and and I, I grew I, up on that. And I love that. Me too. I love Hank Williams and I, I, I love Patsy Cline and I, I love all the stuff because those songs were written in a cubicle in Nashville or now with, with technology being what it is, like what we were saying earlier, it, it you can sit there in your bedroom and, and do all the stuff and like Billy did with her brother and that kind of thing. But now, now it, those guys, it's different, but those, because they're targeting an audience. Okay. Jesse and Hank, what, what do you think they like? Pickup trucks or do they like, you know, whatever. And so they go from there, but Hank Williams wrote your cheating heart. Cause she was cheating on him. <laughs> The struggle was real. It was. It's. I call it white man's blues, because it's the same thing as as R and B blues. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's the same thing. You know, Muddy Waters and those guys, Willie Dixon, who wrote so many blues songs that you hear these days. Born under a bad song. I mean, all these songs they were written from the heart, not from the wallet or the mind. From the heart. And that's what's. Think about I, I, as as a younger guy. I remember the hip hop stage coming. Hip hop came. It was. The struggle, the streets, the projects. Yeah. Then it started getting into more mainstream material. Oh, it was, yeah. It got it got more materialized, and that's what I see with country music is being very more materialized. Like back in the day, it's cheating heart, drinking whiskey. Like my woman yeah. left me. Yeah. Now it's cold beer, a pickup truck, American torn out flag. jeans, and it's it. There's your. That's it. And that's it's gotten to the point where it's hard for me now to listen to it. Uh, but what about on the a peop- mainstream level? What about the people that are coming up? That's all they know. Exactly. And I think, I think history, you know, all the stuff we've been talking about historically uh, based, I think history is almost becoming a lost art form. I mean, it's people aren't uh, younger people that, that I see, I could be totally wrong. And if I am, I hope so. I hope I'm Mm -hmm. way off base, you know, but uh, I I sing, I sing the genres of the thirties that right out of ragtime is where I really enjoy that 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 big boom with Bing Crosby and Sinatra. Yeah, the crooners. So when I sing, I, I'm a, I'm considered a crooner. So I, yes. I focus on the 40s, the 50s, and right. then what they did in their legacy of the 60s and 70s. Yeah. And when you listen to the lyrics, mm-hmm. you listen to the music, the complexity of it, the depth. Yeah. It it doesn't exist anymore. Yes. I don't know. And I, I'm trying to think who told me this. Hopefully, I'm not making this up, but I know I've heard this and I looked it up. And I, uh, but it could be from a wrong source. But it makes sense. Back in the day, music was written at a 10th grade reading level. Today, music is written at a second grade reading level, which means a second grader can understand lyrics, decipher wow. it, understand it. That's how music has evolved in the future from the past. Because the past, if you listen to some of the lyrics, you can't look at, you can sit your second year old 
down or your, I mean, I'm your, second, second grader, grader, sorry, not right. second year old. <laughs> they're, they're not, they're not past Sesame Street yet. Um, but you, your second grader yeah. down and they'll listen to that song and they don't even, they can't really tell what's going on. They can't decipher. Right. It. But you can take a, a mainstream pop song today and hand it to them and remember how it's very repetitive. Yes. So if you listen to pop music, yes, it's like now it used to be like, it used verse, to be called a hook. It used to be like verse, verse, chorus, right. verse, chorus. Now it's chorus, chorus, maybe a bridge, maybe a verse. Chorus, chorus, chorus. Yeah, it's the same thing over and over. And it just drills in your mind to where when you're driving, that's all you're thinking about because it's the same thing. So if I kept going, same thing, same thing for, I don't know, 10 minutes, you would be, that would be ringing in your head. You'd be driving thing. me crazy. Exactly. So, <laughs> so anyways, I that I have so much respect for the pastime of music. And think about it, Nat King Cole, Ella Fitzgerald, yes. to me, is one of the queens. Yes. She's probably yes. the queen. And the reason why... Black woman, yeah, a big woman, big woman, beautiful, probably the most smooth, smoothest voice you'll ever hear. Yes, and it was pre civil rights that she that she made to the Billie Holiday too. Billie Holiday as well, but oh, but she was uh, to me Billie Holiday was based in the blues more than oh, the, yeah. the jazz genre. Whereas uh, um, Ella Fitzgerald, yeah, her and the Velvet Fog, uh, Mel Torme, two of the smoothest voices oh, Mel, ever. Mel, but, man. But, you know, and all that uh, kind of stuff. Ain't got that thing. Yeah. There was a, uh, used to be a television show. It was like a Saturday Night Live type thing called SCTV. And they did, and they, they it, it was, it was um, comedy skits, but they did a thing like, uh, the, like it used to be, the, you know, it wasn't 24 7 television, you know television would go off and you usually go off with a star spangled banner at the end of the programming day. And the guy would come on, this is the end of the programming day, you know, have a, have a nice night or whatever. And it'd be off the air for a while. So they would do different things to, to do that. Well, SCTV did Rick Moranis, the comedian, um, was doing Mel Torme doing star spangled banner. And it is, (laughs) I'll get you a copy of it. It's hilarious. It's great, but it's, but it's that, that, that smooth voice, what you're talking about to get back to the topic. It's, um, Always, especially in the, well, up through the 60s, I think, basically, except for civil rights and that kind of thing now, equality. I get it. But back then, there was so much music that was based on, topical on what was happening. The Depression. I mean, Brother, yeah. Can You Loan Me a Dime? I mean, these great songs. Um, what was that one Billy Holiday saying was very controversial? Oh, uh, uh, Forbidden Fruit. Fresh fruit or something? Uh, something fruit, but it was bodies hanging in the trees yeah. is what it was. I mean, it's, and she it, bucked thinly, the horse. Thinly disguised. She bucked the horse. She sure did. And people were coming after her. They sure were. But she stood her ground and became you know, one of the biggest, earliest pop stars of all time. Yeah, I think so too. Her, Louis Armstrong, Mel Torme. Did you know he co-wrote Chestnut, Chestnuts? Rose no, Stone? I didn't know he that. He was one of the writers of that song. Is that right? I always thought these, you think these songs are... Written by people from the 1800s, but yeah. it's actually like some of these people from the 30s and 40s. Well, a lot of those guys, whether it's Mel Torme or Bing Crosby, um, whomever, Nat King Cole, perfect example, were also piano players, mm-hmm. musicians as well. They weren't just, you know, you see them standing up and singing, kind of like you. You play different instruments, you, you know, um, the same thing. But but they, they had a, a, a knowledge of theory and, and modals and stuff like that. They knew how a song was to be put together. I wouldn't sing a song un- unless I felt, but I'm, I'm talking about them, not me, but, and, and uh, say, uh, Nat, Nat King Cole's mind was like, I'm not going to sing a song unless I think it's worthy enough that I wish I had written it. Yeah. That kind of thing. 
you know, it's not, not going to be nonsense stuff. You know, Nat King Cole, uh, 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 Troop, Bobby Troop came out. Uh, he wrote a song, uh, and I play it when I do the jazz brunch. Uh, uh, Route 66, very famous song, mm-hmm. you know. But but Nat King Cole is associated with that song. That's one of his, he had a big hit with that back then. Let's mention, since we've mentioned the brunch a couple of times, let's mention what we do and why we keep referring to the brunch. So, yes. We play, this is where me and Hank really connected with yes, Scarlet Pearl. most definitely. Uh, casino and Resort. And yeah. I sang in the the Scarlet Steaks and Seafood, mm-hmm. and then he would sing at Butler's Bar. And then now lately we've been, he's been in the restaurant, he's been at the bar. So we Yeah, scheduling's we, changed somewhat. But um, but yeah, and, and I, I'll, on a personal note, uh, I feel that's your room. I mean, that's Jesse's room because people oh. love you and they know you in there. And that goes back to what I was trying to say earlier is that I'll play jazz when I jazz brunch. You know, it's like you're talking about New Orleans people. Well, that's their idea of jazz can be different. It, it's, it'll be Dixieland and not necessarily just clarinets and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. but a lot of other instruments. And then jazz is like the 40s, 50s stuff we're talking about. And then jazz is like George Benson and, you yeah. know, all these all these great artists, you know, the uh, uh, guitar players, keyboard players, whatever, flute players, whatever. Um, so my idea of jazz was I went into it with that and I, and I got told very quickly that, well, that's not jazz. And like, well, I'm not going to argue, but. Uh, yeah, it is jazz. It really is jazz, <laughs> but it's not the jazz they wanted to hear. Exactly. You know, um, Sinatra and all that kind of stuff that you do very, very well. Uh, so yeah, we play at Scarlet Pearl, and um, it's a great room. Enjoy doing it. Yeah, and we're grateful for the opportunity. Very. We've been there for several years now. Since the early '60s, <laughs> or maybe not. Maybe that's in my head. Gulf Coast is a melting pot culturally, musically. Uh, it it really it's a melting pot that works. In I my agree. Opinion. Um, and what has always bothered me as a young musician growing up is everybody's like, "Hey, so are you going to move off and try to make it big?" And it's like Nashville or That's LA funny. or New York City. And I'm, in my mind, I'm like, "Well, hell, why do you have to move off? Why do you have to go and starve? You don't in Nashville." To make it big. That's right. How big a pond do you want to be in? Exactly. That's the question. And I always got that too. Mm-hmm. I always got that too. And and on I'm on Instagram and and, and <laughs> I know as you are. Don't you laugh too hard at me because I, the way you well, said I see it. your stuff. No, hey, I'm power to you, my friend. Yeah, well, and 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 you know you have to have a little bit of a pro, who you are type thing, you know. And, and I put I'm a musician in the trenches. That's right. And that's what we do. We're the guys that they step on our backs to because we're responsible. The hundreds of or millions of us that do these gigs, we're responsible in a way, in a big way, of people getting recognized. Man, how many times have you had somebody come up and say, man, I really like that song. Who did that song? Well, it's blah, 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 and -and so-and-so wrote it, or so-and-so recorded it, and it's their song. Then what do they do? Kind of like what earlier talking about the, the liner notes, you know, and stuff. So they look up that person. Oh my gosh, I love this guy or girl, and or now they're a hooked fan. Yeah, and we're in the trenches. We're you know whether we realize it or not or mean it or not is immaterial. But yeah, somebody, somebody's somebody out there is like, thank you all of you guys in these clubs and all of you guys at these weddings or wherever. You know, you were talking earlier about the the uh, repetition of songs, you know, those going from a 10th grade level to a second grade level. Um, I played a wedding not too long ago for some really good friends. And, and 
I guess I'm I'm not really mellowing in my old age, but in some ways I am. Uh, but these kids usually just, you know, W.C. Fields, you're driving me crazy, kid. Get away from me, kid. You know, that kind of thing <laughs> when you're trying to play. It's like, oh, he's cute or she's cute and all this stuff. Well, I'm trying to sing Brown Eyed Girl, which I've sang a trillion times. So, but these kids were up there and I love these. These kids were great. They really were great. And there was, there was a set of twins, these boys, and they were like, they were acting like they're playing guitar next to me. And, and for some reason, it just clicked. I just loved it. And I was having a good time with them. And I, I said, um, one of the twins, I said, so do you sing? And he named some country artist that I don't, one of the newer ones, I don't know who it is. And so the other kids are like, yeah, yeah, so-and-so, yeah. So he named a song. I said, well, I don't know it. So I put it on the, the, the music, my break music. I found it and put it on another wonder of... Uh, of uh, mm-hmm. technology and Wi-Fi. And these kids are sing- know every word to the song, every word of the song. Of course, they're getting that from mom and dad or whatever. <laughs> but, but, but the point is they, they knew that. And it wasn't about, you know, the war in, in Ukraine or it wasn't about, it was just some toe-tapping country song about beer cans and girlfriends or something. something. <laughs> it was serious. It was like that. Which reminds me, I was going to tell you this earlier too, that um, these serious projects that I've done, well, I'm, uh, I'm gonna, I think the next one, well, actually I got two in mind, whether, whether I do them or not, that's another story. But I got one that I'm going to come out with called Magnolia Sunset, and it's written about the Gulf Coast. Ooh. So it's going to be, I've already got a lot of the lyrics written, and it's, it's based on uh, where we live. You know, because you hear songs, you know, Jesse Winchester did a song that Jimmy Buffett recorded years ago, Biloxi. And it's like, it's a, it's a good song, you know. I mean, it's a very slow-paced song, but it's a good song. And it talks about pretty girls in Biloxi. Well, there's more to Biloxi than pretty girls. And yes, we have pretty girls here. Yes, we do. And uh, just the culture, like you were saying, and, and, you know, our food here, you know, people... I think we have better food than New Orleans. I think New I Orleans think we do just too. butters everything up. But we you want some good seafood. <laughs> I think so too. You come to the Mississippi Gulf Coast, well, and that's another thing. Like I was saying, like when people feel like they have to move off. I mean, yeah. the reason my dream. I've always told. I've told my wife this. I said, if I ever hit the lottery, yeah, I'm done with this place. I'm moving to Cal. No, it's fine. No, and, you you'll. Could you loan me like twenty dollars to pay my light bill? I got you, brother. Man, I, I appreciate. You. If I ever hit the lottery, my goal was to build a state of the art recording studio down here to make to show people that you can actually come to the Mississippi Gulf Coast yeah. for good production yeah. quality. Well, I think but, it's true now. But then but then in reality you don't need to hit the lottery. Right. Like that's 1600 Studios. We're actually opening this up with all these in the downtown area of Ocean Springs, the number one rated uh small town city in America, yeah. in the USA today. That's where we're at. You come in here, we have a discovery meeting, we talk, and then we find out your needs if if what mics and things like that and then when you come back in, we record and hopefully we capture some magic that's my goal as and i feel like that's what i'm getting to like i'm 32 i like gigging but also i really like helping others but also producing I didn't production I, I didn't realize i liked it that much but now i really do it's, it's another form of creating i mean create cre- because I'm, I'm getting more introverted so i don't want to be in front of see I, that's how I'm, i started was introverted i'm getting point i'm getting into the point of like I can be behind this, listen to this wonderful voice, yeah. sing these songs, watch these awesome musicians play, mix it, and then put it out there and watch them hopefully uh, gain notoriety of some sort, whether it's just respect or if it's fame, who knows? Yeah. Money would be great too. Yeah. But yeah. just to watch, that's a good feeling. But it's something you can do till your time on this earth is over. I mean, you can do that. It, it you're, you know, it won't affect any aspect of, uh, uh, of uh, being out there. And I should, 
I'm not one to talk, <laughs> but I mean, you can, you can do that. I mean, it's, you know, I like to cook. I'm not very good at it, but I like to cook. But to me, cooking is another form of creating. Oh yeah. And I, I think cooking you, is art and yeah, I, I mean, suck at it and I love my wife, yeah. <laughs> but she doesn't like cooking either. We got two babies. We're in, what we call survival mode. We have an almost five-year-old and two-year-old, almost two-year-old. Yeah. We're in survival mode. Sometimes we look at each other and it's like the fourth day and we got to go out to eat. Yeah. Like, Four days technically, we're just like we're in survival mode, right? Yeah, it's oh part yeah. Of it. My son's like that too. They they and they they planned it. I don't know how your situation was, but uh, or is, but but my wife, uh, my wife, my son and his wife uh, knew. Okay, we're gonna have three kids. Gonna be staggered at this age, this age. So we we got like a four year old, uh, two year old, no, or almost three year old, and a seven month old. Wow. Grandchildren, yeah, and, but there, yes. So what you're saying, yeah, but, and, but in the long have, run, it's going to be better. Oh, I wouldn't have it any other way. I yeah, honestly love when I leave here, the studio, or when I get home from a gig. I love seeing those kids. I love seeing my wife. Yeah, and it's that's the way it really, should be. It's a really cool. And think about the people who have to tour, people who go to Vegas try to make it. My that's gosh, right. Like you, it's that's right. It is so hard to make that work when, when you're off on the road. And that's something I yes. never wanted for myself or my family. Yeah. My dad, so uh, there was a gentleman, I don't know this, the guy's name, but my dad, Coast, was approached by somebody yeah. from Nashville. It was right in the peak of where they, you know, like that they're almost breaking into it. Like, right. Okay, we're opening up for Billy Ray Cyrus doing the Hakey Breaky Tour of early 90s. Wow. Like, this is, this is our moment. Like, we're going to hit it, the, you know, whether, and if he came to the South, he would open up for him. So if it's Pensacola or the Coliseum, right. so, that was a big deal back in the day. Absolutely. And then still is, and they're they're almost breaking through, but they have kids and everything. And these people approach them, and they're you know like, we want to talk to you, maybe put you on tour, come to Nashville, do some things, and they all turn it down. Yeah, because they knew they had their priorities. They had a choice. The choice was try to shoot for that fame because they worked hard for it. They almost got it, or this family that's sitting back here. I mean, how are you gonna make that work? And they chose family. Did you ever see the movie Field of Dreams? Yes. Dennis, when, Dennis Quaid? No. No, uh, 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 Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner. But Burt Lancaster plays the doctor who, as a as a young man, he's in one of his last movies, so he, he's an elderly man. But, but the character he plays is Doc. I can't think the last name. But he was a ball player that played for the New York Giants under John McGraw, and he came that close to making it. He was in the bigs for a third of an inning or something. And Costner goes back in time in this dream sequence type. It's not a dream sequence, this sequence where he goes back in time. And he's sitting with Doc and he says, you, you almost made it. How could you come that close to making it and turn it down? And he said, look at, and he shows the pictures of the babies on the wall or whatever. He goes, that's why. He goes, My, I, 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 they needed me here. Mic drop. And yeah, exactly. And not many people have like your dad and, and the guys in Coast or, or the character in this movie. Not many people have that sustain that that strength to say no. It's just it'll have to. Be. And he says it'll just have to be a dream. I mean, that's ah, that's dreams. that's really boom. Yeah. That's, that's cool. That's and now I'm going to go watch that movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. I mean, it's that scene, and you'll know what I'm talking about when he goes in his office he's out for a midnight walk but anyway it's but it's that thing of uh coming that close but they had the intelligence for their family's sake 
for your sake, mm-hmm. your dad. Think about that. Yeah. Um, uh, but so many that, okay, I'm going to chase that, that the golden apple, but how many actually get it and to that degree? Or the temptations on the road yeah, has swayed so many people, whether it's drink, drugs, women, men, whatever the case may be. It's that, I mean, you know, how... how <laughs> How many do you know that are in AA or whatever that, yeah, exactly. you know, you read about it, you know, you know, so-and-so or whatever. It's, it's, it's tough. I went, I was on the road, but I was on the road a really small way, but I played all through the Southeast and uh, had a booking agent and would send me to these different places. A lot of stuff was close to home, Gulf Shores, that kind of thing. But I was like Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, wherever. And, but I was a solo performer. I didn't have any camaraderie. I didn't have anybody to talk to about stuff like that. You know, every town was a new town with new people. And by the time I would meet some friends or what I thought could be friends, I was gone. Yeah. So that's a really tough thing. You know, when I, when I read about people on that scale and dealing with it, it's good gosh, man. You know, not everybody's an Ed Sheeran. Not everybody can can, can attain that level. You know, now that's one thing. I, I, Ed Sheeran. I watched him. I was watching him. The guy's huge, amazing. I watched him in his Coliseum. And he was looping everything. So, everything. And he told me, he's, and he said in the crowd, "I delete everything for my next show." So he redoes everything. Everything's new. The guy, whether you love him or hate him, and a lot of people can't don't like him just because he's so famous. He's the number one most listened to artist on Spotify. I have no doubt. And him and Taylor. But and see, he, and his but brain. I'm glad it's people like him. I'm glad it's people yeah. for, like he's showing you. I'm a musician. Watch me loop this. I wrote this song. Let me sing. I love that. It's not just some face with a big, powerful label behind it. You know That's I mean? right. So, and 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 that 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 happened in the '80s when all of a sudden it went from being somebody. I'll name just to name somebody, Jim Croce, who not the prettiest man in the world, but was extremely talented and died way, way too early way too early uh but then in the 80s and a lot of musicians like that came mtv and with mtv came the look and with the look (laughs) duran duran was the first band that they put out because they're pretty boys and they did have these really cool videos always somewhere in the bahamas or Mm -hmm. exotic locations and they're singing these songs and if you notice the guy that plays keyboard nick Duran or whatever his name is, um, playing with two fingers on a thing, everything sequenced. So, uh, <laughs> you know, but, but they're in the rock and roll hall of fame, I think. So it's like really rock and roll hall of fame. Um, the eighties was weird for me. I'm my sister's my older sister grew up in the eighties. Yeah. I, I can get with the music of course of the forties and fifties, sixties. That was getting, that was interesting because it was really a lot of struggling and, then 70s, you had, I mean, when Eagles came out, gosh, right. I, I thought that was the coolest thing. But then yeah. when 80s come in, like, because this is me learning about the past. I was born in 90s, so I don't, you know, I didn't live through that era. My shoes are that old. <laughs> but the 80s became something I'm trying, I'm doing my best to learn to love and respect. Like, why? I don't know. <laughs> it seems, you don't have to. I feel like that MTV era, just the big oh hair. God. It was a big deal. When MTV came on, it was a big, and what's the first song that was ever on MTV was the video kill the radio star. 
and that was pretty prophetic. Kill the radio star. Yeah. The, oh, uh, the wow. Buggles did it. Oh. Trevor Horn. Kill the not, radio star. Yeah, I think it's Trevor Horn. Da, da, da. Yeah, that okay, one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but the 80s had, you had Madonna. Mm. You had. Have you seen Madonna lately? Go, go look at her face. He looks really good. <laughs> so, uh, so you had Madonna. You had uh, all the synth stuff, Thompson Twins and all those guys. You had Talking Heads. You had now, the what Eagles. Was, what was Genesis? And now the Eagles were broken up in the 80s, weren't they? It was just like Glenn Frey doing his thing and Don Henley doing No, that's right. Uh, Miami Vice stuff. That's right. But That's right. You're right. But Genesis. Yeah. Was that 80s or 70s? Yes. It was both. It was I, I think it was even the tail end of the 60s. I, I love Phil Collins' voice. My well, boy. Phil Collins wasn't the original singer. See, people uh, think see that. that. See, this so, is what this is about. This, this is about learning. This is where the and, old man and, comes and in. Your, and your mind, exactly. This Get is, off this. of my lawn! <laughs> I'm that guy. So Genesis began, Steve Hackett on guitar, and uh, Mike Rutherford was in the band too, I think, at the time. But the lead singer of the band Genesis, because I used to look at these magazines like Circus Magazine and Hit Parade Magazine and all this stuff, and they'd have pictures of these guys. And that was the beginning of avant-garde and all that kind of Andy Warhol and all that stuff. Oh, Andy. Yeah, Andy. Andy. <laughs> David Bowie song, Andy Warhol, ho, as in hope. <laughs> and so he, so they, they had these lavish, extravagant costumes on stage. You know, it was the beginning, prog rock. Progressive rock is what they call it. Emerson, Lincoln, Palmer, and all those guys. King Crimson, Robert Fripp. So uh, the original singer of Genesis, ready for the drum roll? Peter Gabriel. I've heard of that name. Shame on you. Sledgehammer and all those great songs that he did. So he was the original singer. He left for a solo career. And the last record they did was The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, which... Uh, my our friend John Tush, who is uh, a host at the brunch at the Scarlet Pearl uh, Steakhouse, uh, loves them. So he he and I talk ah. about stuff like that. So hey John, so, hey John, hey. So hold on, hold on before we before we move on, we better say hey Max because oh hey, hey Max, hey Max. Max. Well, th are you ready for this? Then you better say hi to everybody. Oh gosh, <laughs> how about this? Hey team that we see every weekend. There you for go. The past five six years. That's it. Yes, I love y'all. Yes, we do. So so. Gabriel left and started kind of slow with his career. He had that song, Shock the Monkey, and these kind of things. But it was still the same vein as that. So they're looking for a lead singer, Genesis, and they don't, they're not happy with anybody. And the drummer says, I, I can sing. And so they said, all right, Mr. Collins, try singing. And they were like, holy moly, can this guy sing? Then they became... The pop group Genesis, the same. I mean, all those hits they had, and you know, the and MTV helped them, the funny videos, you know, uh, all the stuff. But that's how that evolved. Hey, y'all, if you've enjoyed your listening experience, be sure to subscribe and like the High Note podcast and tune in weekly to everything music. 